Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. This is part three of our review of ElfQuest, the Final Quest special. Hey, David. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. We are back to finish the discussion that we started um, to, uh, actually two episodes ago. Yeah. Um, so there's been two episodes on the Final Quest special, mm-hmm. and we're going to pick it up and hopefully get through the rest and hopefully yeah. not um, talk for another three hours and have three more episodes just on this one issue. As yeah. much as I would love to do that, because there's a lot of cool stuff in here, mm-hmm. um, I, I think we have to recognize that most people out there have real lives and <laughs> they don't have the time to listen to all that. So um, so before we dive into that, though, yeah. um, we have some pretty exciting news for everybody. Yeah. Um, if you if you guys are following the uh, the ElfQuest Facebook fan page or you're on the ElfQuest forums, you'll you probably have seen us posting about the fact that the ElfQuest show podcast is now available on iTunes, Yay. which is pretty cool. Yes. And Ryan, cool. Why, could, why don't you tell folks about you know what that means and, and um, how that happened? Well, um, basically, I had to apply uh, to get us onto iTunes. There's a, um, uh, a period of waiting where they, they listen to your podcast, from what I understand, and, and kind of go through it and decide whether or not they're going to allow your podcast to be um, available through, through iTunes. Um, so it took a couple of weeks, but we got approved. So we're now up on iTunes, and you can subscribe to the ElfQuest show on iTunes, and we're still on SoundCloud too. So awesome! Um, yeah, yeah, and it will automatically update. Uh, That's so iTunes. cool. Yeah, I feel like we've you know sort of achieved some level of officiality just I, by getting onto iTunes. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. It might it might just be you know sort of a psychological thing, but the cachet um, of being on iTunes for sure. I mean, it's you know I think that's probably the number one platform for podcasts. Right. So right. yeah, we well, did it. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. And and I do also want to give a shout out to everybody that has gone on to either SoundCloud, but particularly on iTunes already and um, given us a good review. Um, it's so awesome to yeah, see that great. you guys are enjoying the show. We love and. Yeah, and the more feedback you can give us, the better. Yeah. Um, and 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 don't be shy. I mean, if there's something that you don't like about the show, tell us. Um, you know, we're definitely open to constructive criticism. And absolutely. And if there's things that we can be doing differently that folks can, um, you know, want, want to share with us, we'll definitely consider them and try to incorporate them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we love the comments. Uh, everybody who's commented so far on the different episodes, please continue to do so. We we love to hear your comments. And uh, we're doing our best to uh, reply, and, and uh, whether it's on the show or whether we're replying um, on on the site directly, um, yeah, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts. 
That's right too, and and also your suggestions. Um, yes. You know, if there's something that um, that that you really want us to dive into, let us know, and we can. Um, even though we're trying to focus these is- these episodes on particular issues, mm-hmm. um, if you've listened to the last few episodes, you'll know that at the beginning we kind of start with you know various um, you know threads or commentary that um, came up from the previous episode, and um, exactly. you know, and announcements like the iTunes thing. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely try to address questions that we didn't get to if you guys want us to talk about. Um, also, I'll just add to all of that that I am uh, looking to get the show on different uh, sites as well, um, podcast hosting sites. There's been a few suggestions for some other ones. I can't remember off the top of my head, though, what they're called, but I have them written down somewhere, so rest assured that I'm on that. Uh, yeah, so I'll be applying to some other sites as well to try and get them up there. So let me know if you want it on a specific site, if you don't use iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, tell me. Tell us on on the ElfQuest page on Facebook or in the comments on SoundCloud, wherever you can. Awesome. Great. All right. So let's 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 get back into the final quest special. So um, I didn't I didn't have time to sit and listen to the last two episodes okay. um, since it's been a few months. So we, we, we might repeat some things, but um, I think the best way to proceed okay. is to just sort of plow through the, the issue kind of chronologically. Yeah. And, um, and then that way we'll kind of know where we left off. And so I know that we definitely talked about the, the birth scene that yeah. kicked the, the I think issue we spent off. about an hour on that alone. <laughs> so yeah, I think we covered that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then, you know, sort of chemo deciding that he was going to follow Shuna and right. B and um, on their sort the, of the now of Wolf thought with um, Tree Stump forgetting Little Patch. We dealt right. into that pretty deeply. Uh, You're right. Yeah. yeah. All right, so so I think a good spot to pick up mm-hmm. is um, is on page ten. I have the issue open in front of me. Okay. Um, is is when we cut over to Ember's tribe. Yes. Um, and well, the little. Yeah, the little scene that that plays out there. Right. So um, the thing that really stands out to me about this mm-hmm. scene is that um, we, we we kind of learned something new about Ember, and that yeah. she's kind of uncomfortable around babies. Yes, exactly. Which was uh, kind of strange when I read that. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, she seems well, very uh, taciturn as well. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I don't know why why that is. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is definitely obviously some kind of foreshadowing of something that's going to come. Um, right. And so uh, the thing, though, that I liked about the the fact that you know they sort of gave Ember this this perspective on little babies is that I can totally relate. Now, don't get me wrong; I love kids, but that's I just human being. I know <laughs> I love kids, but I like them when they're about like two or three years old. Yeah, when they're little little babies. Yeah. Um, there's just they seem so fragile, so breakable, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Um, Plus, and, they have weird fluids coming out of. Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's just like yeah, way more. So I think I, I think that's actually a really neat thing that um, you know, like you said, it's kind of unexpected, and it's mm. not really something that we have seen before in Elfquest. Oh. I mean, almost almost universally, mm. the elves are depicted as all just being so totally baby crazy, and and you know because yeah. babies are so rare and whatever. And so yeah. here we have a character that um, that d- isn't like that, and I think mm. it kind of makes Ember a little bit more human. It makes her a little bit more relatable, um, at least to me. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely, it does seem a little strange though, given that like what you said that the elves seem to be baby crazy uh, the way that they've been depicted throughout the series so far. And then suddenly we have this character, uh, Ember, um, who we've known since she was a child, um, suddenly display this kind of distaste for cublings. Right. Yeah, it may, maybe came out of left field a little bit for me, but uh, it's an interesting character development. 
Yeah, well, I, I, okay, so, I, I mean, to me, it, it actually is totally in character. I mean, Ember oh, has always right. been portrayed as sort of, you know, sort of rough rough and tumble, a little bit, um, you know, kind of on the wild side when That's she was true. little, you know, the term tomboy might have applied, right? Yeah. So, so to me, as to see her grow up into an adult who, you know, it, it does not have a very strong, you know, maternal instinct or desire, you know, for babies, at least at this stage in her life. I mean, because she's still fairly young here, right? Um, yeah. it, it actually seems to fit perfectly. So that's interesting that, um, no, that we you know what? see it in different ways. Now that you've framed it in that way, I can totally see what you're saying. And I agree. You've convinced me. Okay, good. <laughs> that's my goal. You know how easy that everyone, <laughs> everyone to think like me. No, um, the other thing that I really liked about this scene is um, just a little sort of w- weird collective consciousness thing that, um, uh, again, on page 10, when mm-hmm. when Ember is you know saying that, you know, she's really not interested in going to see Corifei's birth. Right. Um, and Poole says, that makes me hurt here, Chiefess. Mm-hmm. And he's holding his hand to his heart. Mm-hmm. And that just totally endeared me to Poole mm-hmm. um, because that's something that I say. Um, we kind of say that in my family, like if, if something makes us sad, right. well, you know, we say something like, um, you know, oh, that hurts my heart. And yeah. to see that show up in ElfQuest, I don't know where, where I got it from. Maybe it's, it, they've used it before in ElfQuest and it just sort of buried in my brain and that's where I got it from. Mm-hmm. But it was just kind of neat to see that prop up in ElfQuest, that specific kind of phrasing. Cause, right. A reflection of something that you actually use in real life. Yeah. 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 yeah it's yeah. kind of neat. Yeah. For so. Um, you know what? I do want to talk about Sustin Pool, but I think we should save them for issue one because uh, they're quite prevalent as characters in issue number one. Yep. yep uh, I agree. But we definitely should talk about those two. Yep. Yeah. So we'll save um, them for the next episode. Yeah, and so uh, I I think that's a good idea. the The other thing in this scene that you uh, already mentioned is is this sort of you know kind of vague icky feeling that Ember seems to be having that she right. says to Bender, like, it, I don't even know, you know, it doesn't have a name. I don't know what it is. And so, worries. Yeah. So uh, Ender refers to them as, yeah. So she seems to sense something on the wind. She's got the scent of something. Right. Um, I don't know if that's just, uh, I, I don't know if that's like, I would consider that a power of some sort, like precognition, or if that's just some gut instinct that she has, that there's danger coming but i i would assume that means that she's sensing the danger from the jun but that doesn't happen for another 20 years or so down the exactly yeah yeah so, so I, i'm not sure what that <laughs> i know like is that possible that she's 20 years in advance she's sensing that what's going to happen with the with the jun attacking them yeah that, a little I, um i don't know well, that's one of those things where I think um, we it, it might make more sense several issues in. Um, we just got to wait and see. Right. You're right. It might not have anything to do with what happened with the jump. We'll see. Right. Um, the other thing that I loved about this scene is is good old Krim. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just o- opening up her big mouth and being irreverent, and then Pike Pike's little comment where he says, "The mouth, Krim. The mouth." Yeah. <laughs> I love those two. Just totally genius, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, mm-hmm. Don't so, be a rock um, skull, girl. That's what she says to her. A rock skull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love, the, I love the um, the the curse words that the elves use. It's, oh, they're totally. So, yeah. They're so creative and colorful. Well, um, the I, I don't remember when, when or where, but I know that uh, Richard and, and maybe Wendy has commented on this. Um, 
you know, uh, just the idea that it's it's really hard coming up for with, with with curse words or swears for the elves because in our world most of the the bad words that we use have to do with um, with defecation, which for the elves, mm. you know, generally is just part of part of life. It's not, you know, it's it's no big deal. I mean, although they do. You know, they do say things like stag chips and, um, you know, dung or whatever. So, so they kind of are in that, that realm, but, um, but the rest of our bad words, mm-hmm. generally speaking, yeah. are sort of derogatory to someone's, you know, gender, right. um, or, or their sexuality yeah. or, or, um, or have it, have it some, something to do with sex. Right. And those are things that Wendy and Richard have set up the world of elf quest, um, mm-hmm. you know, for the, these characters, these beings where they don't, they don't care about that stuff. No, they and don't have nothing, hangups about them. Yeah. So. There's nothing negative. So therefore there's no way, I mean, it wouldn't make sense for them to have negative words about that. Of so, um, so what we're That's left with is rock skull and mm-hmm. pucker nuts and <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting project for for the forum for um, somebody to start a thread um, with all of the kind of phrases and, and well, curse words. I think they're in the gatherum. I, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. The um, list of all of them. Either that, either the gatherum or the uh, the Wolf Riders guide, or maybe both. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it might be in the guide. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know what we what would be really funny though is uh, we were talking about a pronunciation guide on YouTube, oh. something for names. Might right. have like a an ElfQuest uh, swearing guide on YouTube as well. <laughs> so just be like random people swearing and elf swear. Oh my god, I love it! I love it. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah. before we go down any other wormholes, um, the uh, the last thing in the scene is this full page interaction mm-hmm. between Dushine and Tear. Yeah, and I, I love this page. Yeah, me too. Well, you, you, you tell. Go ahead first. Well, it's because it's two characters that we've never really seen interact before in any significant way. Um, mm-hmm. And they have this really in-depth conversation. And it's just nice to see that sort of um, character development and character interaction. Um, again, this is another thing that sets ElfQuest apart from other comic books, um, that Wendy and Richard take the time to allow their characters to interact with each other in really natural um, conversational ways and it, it gives insight into each character. So, yeah, yeah th- th- that's exactly what I love about it too. And, and, you know, it's something that, um, I think this, this page is what makes ElfQuest ElfQuest, just like you were saying. And mm-hmm. we, we, we don't get to see this kind of scene too often though. And I think that's partly yeah. what makes them special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just sort of characters having a conversation and interacting. Just this is not, um, you know, a crisis. There's not a battle. There's not, not you know, an illness. No. Yeah, it's just it's it's a. It's just like a hey, what's up kind of scene. Yeah. Right. And yet, it's totally fascinating. You know, and and it just proves the point that um, you don't have to have constant action and blood and guts and and violence to keep a comic interesting. And I think right. that's. Again, another thing that makes ElfQuest special. Well, we care um, about these characters, right? So to see them interact in, in really naturalistic ways with each other, um, it makes them feel even more real than they do. Uh, totally. Yeah, it, they're so relatable when they when they act this way. Uh, yep. You know, they're just having a conversation. And, and yet at the same time, it, we do get um, some insights into, into their personalities and, and who they are as people. 
Yeah, yeah, and and again, that's kind of genius. Like this sort of character development of mm-hmm. uh, of of Tyr and Ember, who obviously are, are are sort of key players in this whole Final Quest story, um, especially you know these first few issues. But um, and and as a sidebar, um, I forgot to say this at the top. Um, since we are you know, we're sort of doing issues, we're, we're a few issues behind in doing podcasts. So I think we should try to not give any spoilers for stuff that happens right. in in the subsequent issues. So um, okay. I'll just, I'll just leave it at, you know, this scene is an interesting thing to, uh, you know, bring up personality traits between Tyr and Ember because stuff happens with them down the line. Uh, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later. Um, I loved the, well, I, I loved how Dushine so effortlessly kind of refocus Tyr's attention and you know his his building anxiety over the fact that Ember's like yeah I might not want cups mm-hmm. um and, and you know of course Tyr so puts it into perspective or context what do you mean it, uh do shine she kind of explains to him you know the the two of you are very much alike and it seems to be something that Tyr never really considered before how alike he and Ember are yeah yeah um yeah and so just Sorry, the I threw you off your that, train of thought there. Yeah, well, <laughs> you did a little bit. Um, no, because I, well, I, I agree with that. I don't really have anything else to add to it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, just seeing seeing Dushine step up into this role is sort of um, just sort of the the wisdom that um, that we see her displaying in that scene is kind of neat because you know Dushine started out as kind of the the sort of the free spirit teenager mm-hmm. and has really even though she's had a couple story arcs um mm-hmm. that have kind of focused on her and kind of put her through the ringer mm-hmm. um you know in in the last several uh you know storylines she really hasn't had a big role and so it's really cool to see her kind of crop up here and see her kind of weighing in with her 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 the wisdom of an elder. I mean, at this point, she's an elder. I was just going to say so, that. Well, she's an elder now, right? Yeah, um, and yeah. definitely an elder of Ember's tribe. If if she wouldn't be considered an elder necessarily of the entire Wolf Rider tribe, right. uh, but but definitely for Ember's tribe, she's an elder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Just so she's fulfilling that role to some degree, right? By um, giving counsel to exactly. the other characters. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And she sees um, that tears in need of of that counseling and. You know, she's willing to reach out to him. Yep, yeah. Uh, two other things that I love yeah. about the scene. Um, one is the fact that we get to learn a another wolf's name. And the oh, wolves are, are one thing. Yeah, Moldigger. Yeah. Um, the wolves are one thing. And I think we talked about this in, um, in, in previous episodes. But I'm really eager to see more more um more of the wolves in the story um i feel like you know night runner and star jumper and then you know maybe wolves like briar sting and chop Licker, um you know we, we haven't really had two, well i shouldn't say that in the shards storyline we had scratch bark and click tooth and we had um of course uh, hold fast cutters wolf yeah i remember hold fast yeah yeah, but the other one, um, and so mm-hmm. scratch bark and click tooth were um, are um, exactly, and right? they had that whole great scene where the four of them fight the peace hounds. That's and, right, uh, and they, you know, they 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 were named and they kind of had a role. You get saw a little bit of their personality, but um, but yeah, I'm hoping that in the final quest we get to see more of that um, because the wolves are part of what make the wolf riders cool, and I, I kind of miss knowing them as characters and having them just sort of be the generic wolf pack in the background. Right, right. I mean, they're more than just 
pack animals or horses, right? They are members of the tribe. So yeah, yeah definitely. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, we, I would like to see that too, maybe a bit more um, uh, like personality or showcasing of, right. of the wolf friends. Yep. Yeah, and yep. I, I mean, it would be nice too to see some uh, a wolf wolf characters that are as iconic as, say, Star Jumper or Night Runner, because everybody remembers them. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll see that. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I guess we're just gonna have to keep reading. Definitely. And then, <laughs> so of course, we're... also with this scene too, we get um, Dushine talking about Winkin. Right. Uh, which was great because we've missed him. I've missed him. He's been out of the story for so long, and suddenly Dushan's talking about her son again. So it's, right. it's great to see her, um, you know, re- remembering her son and discussing him with Tyr, and and uh, how effortlessly it kind of fits into her discussion with Tyr about his relationship with Ember and uh-huh. um, how she sees some of Winkin in Tyr, um, a bit of the loner, rootless one, I think, is what she calls him. Yeah, and that was the second thing um, that I was going to mention is that I love just those phrases that Wendy and Richard come up with, like his rootless ways. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a cool way of phrasing it. Um, and so I really, I thought that was neat. Yeah, um, and immediately you understand what that means, just the way it's totally, phrased. Totally, yeah. This yeah. way is like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a wanderer. Right, and that's really how we, you know, how we have seen Winkin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's always been portrayed as sort of, a little bit aloof, a little bit distant, um, definitely a wanderer, um, you know, flying down to the forever green, you know, exploring around. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about, about that stuff, uh, as we get further into the issue. But yeah, I thought that was really neat that she draws these connections between, um, these similarities between, um, Tyr and Winkin and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and in doing so sort of, illustrates that you know even though these th- these wolf riders live in the now of wolf thought and they they can forget about loved ones you know as we were talking about with tree stump and yes. and little patch but uh, you know and and it, i thought it was just so perfectly done sort of that balance like obviously dushan remembers her son mm-hmm. but the, you know the, the, this line in here that she doesn't remember if he ever took another name i just thought that was so neat like that didn't they didn't have to put that in there no the scene could have totally worked without that but what a great sort of nuance to put in there and and reinforcing this idea that we've already kind of been reminded of with tree stump's comment a few pages earlier about these characters and their ability to just sort of you know lose the past and um and just kind of live in the now i just thought that was exactly i actually when i read that line about her wondering if he had chosen another name i was expecting um later on when we see winkin again that he would have another name i thought that was maybe foreshadowing for Right. Yeah. But I no. I kind of like that 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 it isn't um, because I I I just I like Winkin and I like his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, we'll talk about him in a few more minutes. Yeah. Um, I'm so just the next scene. He'll... Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about him. We'll get okay. to him. All right. Yeah. So yeah. so the next scene um, is um, is the scene. Yeah, we're back in the palace, and this is where we we basically learn about the whole idea of palace pods. And the we fact actually that... we talked about this. I, yeah, I, yep. I was just going to say that. Oh, okay. So we don't need to we don't need to tread there again. Right. Um, so um, so let's let's move along. Um, right. And we let's see. So you know we learn also in that scene that wave dancers have a longer gestation, um, three years instead of two years. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I think. Oh, well, actually, I I don't really know why. Um, and it's a little bit 
troubling for my to wrap my mind around that because um, you know as I've mentioned in previous episodes my Virgo brain likes things neat and ordered and categorized and everything and mm. so it's kind of hard to wrap my my brain around the fact that you have these you know the species and some populations of them have longer gestation periods it doesn't quite match up with real life biology but I guess biology sure yeah mm-hmm. but that is um, but they're alien that, exactly. <laughs> That's why. That's why. That's the beauty of a fantasy story, right? right. Um, is that you can kind of uh, play with that. I mean, and I so, would imagine because of their environment and uh, the necessities uh, required to survive it, that they would right. need some sort of longer period in which to develop specific traits. Maybe I mean, we're not really clear. Uh, it it hasn't really been defined as to how the wave dancers breathe underwater. Right, whether yeah. it's gills, I, I don't see any visible gills on them the way that Winnowill had them uh, right, in right. things. But uh, um, like, who knows? Maybe they they need longer to develop some sort of internal water oxygen type, right? You know, ability to breathe. Well, it's, um, I, yeah. I'm so glad I'm so glad you brought that up because you you reminded me because mm-hmm. um, again this issue came out God six months ago. Yeah, um, you reminded me that Wendy actually addressed this. I she oh. she posted a video of um, I think it was a dolphin giving birth or of a baby dolphin and 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 it it explains this and I completely forgot about that. Okay, um, I think the the idea is that if you are if you're living sort of mostly an aquatic life. That when you're born, you have to you 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 need to be able to to sort of move around and swim. You know, if you look at real life marine mammals, they're born just sort of miniature versions of the adults, fully capable. You know, kind of a, of swimming and breathing. Uh, they still nurse and everything. And I think mm-hmm. that was some of the logic and and some of the idea behind the wave dancers having this longer gestation period because the babies have to be more fully formed to be able to survive in sort of this ocean environment. Well, that makes than, sense. If they were living on land and, you know, their parents carried them around and everything. They're so completely helpless. Yeah. In this yeah. case, they're, they're um, a bit older, so they're able to uh, survive better in their, their environment. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll, and, yeah. and for, you know, little, little biology lesson here, mm-hmm. because I can't resist that, mm-hmm. that um, the term for that is called um, precocial when, um, when, you know, sort of a species has babies that are sort of born ready to go. Um, are hatched, ready to go, um, and can kind of fend for themselves and take care of themselves. It's a it's an evolutionary strategy, um, you know, basically to that that helps babies survive without needing parental care. Precocial, so, precocial, really? yeah, precocial, I've never heard yeah. that term before. Yep, yeah. Oh, so you know, animals like um, you know uh, a, a lot of uh, fowl birds, mm-hmm. you know, like that hatch that 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 are covered in fuzz and you know they're not naked and they don't. The, the parents don't sit on the nest, you know, ducks, for example, mm-hmm. um, hares, by the way, have precocial young. That's one of the differences between hares and rabbits. Rabbit babies come out and they're, you know, like most mammals, they're kind of, helpless. you know, very helpless. Um, whereas hares are born and they're pretty, they come out and they're pretty much ready to run and feed themselves. And, no um, kidding. So, I know that. yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. So. I would think to precocial that must have some connection to the word precocious because that's sort of like, um, older than you are. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's it's the same root word. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Thank so anyway, <laughs> naturalist. Yeah, I can't help myself sometimes. Um, so we um, we have. Okay. Um, so we see uh, an image of Brill. She's ready to give birth. So Sunstream and the gang decide it's time to go visit the wave dancers. 
Yep. Um, and and I, I love the little interaction between Skywise and Sunstream, where Sunstream is kind of, you know, poking Skywise a little bit about his his his, you know, still not quite perfect abilities to to fly the palace mm-hmm. pod. Um, I really love the development of those two um, yes, as as sort of um, a mentor yes. mentee, yes. and and it's it's it kind of goes both ways, you know, because. I feel like Sunstream is, is more powerfully is more powerful from the magic point of view and is teaching Skywise and helping to teach Skywise while at the same time Skywise and his um, you know his sort of cheeky wisdom mm-hmm. is helping Sunstream as well. And we saw a lot of that in the in the full circle storyline, which is of course one of my favorites, um, yeah. where we really see them kind of a- almost develop a relationship like Cutter and Skywise when they were younger, when Cutter was younger, which is just kind of a really neat thing. I really like that. that. And uh, it seems like Wendy and Richard have really made a point of exploring their relationship in the last few stories, like you said, yeah. Circle. And I think there was some stuff going on in um, uh, Discovery as well. Yep. Yeah, yep. I seem to yeah. recall some, some interactions between the two. So, yeah, it's really nice to see um, that they've developed this relationship. I love that because, I mean, they are a family, right? Uh, yep. Despite the fact that... Um, Skywise isn't related by blood, that they are still a family. Uh, And so he's relating to Sunstream as though he were his uncle. But like you say, it's almost um, sometimes the reverse, where it's like the mentor-mentee, and they both take on those roles. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's a really neat uh, little relationship that's being explored within the Mm storyline. And it's also cool because if you remember in the... um, the Hidden Years storyline when Ember's tribe first broke off and um, went out to sort of preserve the yeah. way, um, and and Cutter asked Skywise to go with her, right? Um, to basically be what her mentor, you know, uh, yeah, her mentor, and mm. it, it it completely failed. It didn't work out at all. It was a the two of us. them, yeah, yeah, didn't really um, they didn't gel in the same way, and so it's really kind of neat to see Skywise and Sunstream kind of, you know, Skywise is able to fulfill that with Cutter's other kid. Um, so it's kind of kind of cool. Definitely, it is very cool. Yeah. 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 All right. So we get into a palace pod, and we you know we whoosh away. Before we over- do, though, I just want to say Cutter doesn't want to go. And I, when I first read that, I was a little confused about that because I was thinking, why wouldn't he want to go and see his granddaughter being born? Right. Um, and it's not really explained within the story, but I thought about it, and I figured it's because Cutter first of all, is the chief of the Wolf Riders, and he feels the responsibility to stay with his tribe. Um, and secondary to that, I think he still has a little bit of reticence when it comes to wanting to travel in the palace because it kind of freaks him out. Yeah, I mean, th- th- those are the exact two things that um, that I would have said too. And it didn't seem strange to me for, for those those exact reasons. Okay. Um, I don't even honestly question it. So it's kind of interesting that you brought it up that mm-hmm. it stood out to you. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would completely agree with those two things. I mean, I think first and foremost, he, you know, he wants to stay with the tribe. He's, he thinks it's his duty. Um, and you're right. It's like every time Cutter gets in the palace and travels somewhere, it's like bad things happen. Like, you know, maybe I mean, bad trip, man. Yeah. I mean, it, look, look at what happened in the discovery. You know, he went and he almost died. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't him in the palace. Uh, they don't really work out too well together. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, is that there's probably limited space inside the pod as well. So, yeah, it's I kind of like, yeah, yeah, the fewer, the better in that sure. instance. But um, although I'm sure they can make a pod as big as they wanted it. But. Yeah, probably. But in any yeah. case, I, I would imagine the reasons that we listed there, why he didn't want to go. 
Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. All right. So we are now um, at, uh, at at the Wave Dancers on the other side of the planet across the vast deep ocean. And um, actually, wait, I take that back. Which continent are the Wave Dancers on? They, I have to... They're on the same continent as uh, Ember's Tribe. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. All right. So they're in, in on Press the Junsland. Yeah. The yeah. Junsland continent. The that's what I thought. Archipelago. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, they whisk, they're whisked away down there and immediately the wave dancers are all in a tizzy because Brill is sort of breaking the tradition of how they give birth, um, set forth by Surge and his sort of paranoia mm-hmm. where the, the, the mothers had to be sort of sequestered away, hidden away into sort of a birth nest and, um, and not sort of free to experience the joys of the birth out in the open ocean, which is makes sense would be where a wave dancer would feel most comfortable giving birth. Sure. And, um, and so, uh, you know, the, a combination of, of, of sunstream, sunstream and mostly Lita kind of pointing out that, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Calm down guys. Everything's yeah. going to be all right. Just chill out. And I think this is a good example of, um, you know, uh, Wendy has has written or said um, in some of her interviews that, you know, her interpretation of the Wave Dancer tribe is kind of like this sort of, um, you know, skitter, skittish, uh, scared of their own shadow, um, almost shell shocked, um, to use a pun, shell shocked. <laughs> Richard will like that. <laughs> um, yeah, this sort of that's that's kind of their vibe mm-hmm. and. And that was largely the result of, of Serge's paranoia and the way that he led them. And so uh, I think we're seeing that play out here. And and for Snakeskin, it's you know it's a struggle to kind of Get step out that. of the shadow of his father and to to be the real leader that he was so kind of hesitant to be in in previous stories. So it's kind of neat that to see him, you know, th- this relatively new character, mm-hmm. um, kind of have have this evolution in, in a little bit of time that we've got to see him. Right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. yeah. It's uh, they definitely are a very um, scared, uh, sequestered, um, morose, brooding tribe. Right. Uh, yeah. So, although not as bad as the gliders, which I think. Yeah, not um, as bad as the gliders. You know, which which is interesting um, because I I have I, I I've been thinking about the wave dancers because they are the most like the gliders in many ways they yes. they're an old tribe mm-hmm. you know many of the many of the individuals seem to be you know multiple thousands maybe even tens of thousands of years old they you know they're taller in stature uh, stature which is what makes me think that they're older mm-hmm. um sort of of an older generation they um they obviously are are very um they have a lot of magical ability yes and so it's kind of um you know this sort of interesting way that the 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 more magical elves are the ones that are closer to the high ones are portrayed in ElfQuest. I mean, the gliders obviously were sort of morose and depressed and sort of inwardly feeding upon themselves. And we know what happened to them. Yeah. And so I think the wave dancers represent maybe the flip side of that coin where they were under Surge's leadership, really um, beginning to go down this path of, mm-hmm. uh, of um, again, maybe feeding on themselves, maybe not quite stagnation, but um, you know, living this, yeah, living this like terrified life, which is no life to live at all. Right. And so here we see um, kind of the Wolf Rider and, and Sun Villager philosophy towards life, kind of helping to wash wash away some of that um, that sort of negative past in the Wave Dancers, which is kind of cool. Definitely. And that, that's actually the perfect segue to the other um, 
character that pops up here who I think is the ultimate representation of kind of washing away the negative past. And that's Reef, the, mm-hmm. the you know, formerly known as the broken one, right. um, who is, I find really interesting, super intriguing. I love his character design. I love the swoopy hair and the, the gray skin and, you know, his sort of timid, almost childlike personality, the little bit that we've seen of it. Um, and this is kind of the first time that we, that we, well, we, we get this flashback, which we didn't get to see in the discovery, right. which I think was, was one of the unfortunate things about the discovery. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you really needed to see that. Definitely. I think when it came out, I remember there was a bit of uh, commentary on the forums about how um, people were upset that they didn't actually get to see the transformation um, because it was like one one panel, we saw him as the broken one, and then in the next panel, he was suddenly reef, but there's right. no transition. So right. I think actually Wendy and Richard kind of took that into account and decided, okay, we're, we're going to show that in this story because... Yep it's important and and the fans wanted to see it so i think that might have been a bit of um uh them taking into account what the fans said and and recognizing that yeah it was kind of a missed opportunity um, right i might I, maybe i'm going out on a limb saying that but uh no i i don't think so at all um i i, I would guess that they probably felt the same way probably. Um, and that just due to the page restrictions that they had of course. with that, with that comic um, and the deadlines and everything that, uh, that they had under DC mm-hmm. that they probably, they probably themselves felt it, it was a, you know, they would have liked to see it. And so my guess it's probably a combination of that and their reaction to, you know, fan commentary that they agreed with. So um, it's nice to see it here. So we do see um, the transformation. It's mainly though, too, we see his hand transforming. Right. Right. Which is what, what kind of um, is used to indicate this uh, this shape changing that he's gone through. Yep. Yeah. And how many healers are there in the Wave Dancers? There's Surge. No, Snakeskin. Uh, there's uh, well, there's so back. so. I would say this. This is my interpretation. Um, you've got Skimback, who is very clearly a healer. You know, that's how his magic manifests itself. Then you've got Snakeskin, who you know, if you think of healers as I think of healers as sort of biological manipulators, mm-hmm. right? So, which is obviously not a a term that is going to work for the actual story of ElfQuest, but that's really what they are. Right. Um, you know, they can they can change uh, biological processes and metabolic processes, and and you know speed things up or slow things down or make flesh grow or whatever. And so, um, to me, I mean, Snakeskin has that ability, but his natural inclination is not not as a healer, not as a biological manipulator of other elves, but um, as we've seen in past stories, he is more inclined to grow corals, which I, I love that idea because it's such a, um, it fits so well with this idea that, you know, the elves had to adapt to this planet mm-hmm. and the magic that they had um, kind of manifested itself in different ways. And and so, you know, if you're living in the forest, you know, the magic sort of uh, manifests as plant shaping. If you're living in the desert, you know, you get rock shapers. And if you're living in the water, you get this healing ability, which is all about, um, you know, manipulating living bodies. And it manifests itself in snakeskin as a coral shaper, hmm. which is so neat because, you know, he's not a rock shaper, even though the 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 shell of the coral is kind of like, you know, it's 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 almost like rock. Um, sure. It's minerals. But he yeah. he he shapes it by shaping the living creatures. Which is just really neat to oh, me. Oh, that's but, really neat. But obviously, he also, with encouragement from 
skim back and, you know, also from surge, but encouragement is probably not the right word. Browbeating and shaming is probably mm-hmm. a better word. Yeah. Um, you know, he obviously has the ability to sort of use his powers on other elves. It just doesn't, it's not his sort of natural inclination. Is mm-hmm. that That's the way that I, I read this. And I also think that that might be a way of dealing with the fact that, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it might be a little bit of overkill to have multiple healers in yeah, one tribe. I think so. And, and I feel like that might be an example um, of, you know, Wendy and Richard pulling in all of the various threads, some of which, you know, maybe are not where they want to take the story and, 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 and details like that. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at the original um, story where Reef was introduced, mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a healer too. Oh, but really? We don't, Yes. Yeah, but we don't we don't see any evidence of that. And my guess is that that is a that's a you know a little detail that is not going to be, you know, that that again under Wendy and Richard's telling of ElfQuest mm-hmm. they're not going to keep. And I'm okay with oh, that. And we talked right. about that. Yes, because in the Wave Dancer story it was uh he was attracted to Winnowill's suffering because he could feel it as a healer. Right. Isn't that right? right? Yeah, and then yeah. and then she transformed him into right. this disfigured um gelatinous goblin gooey, right <laughs> sea goblin right that he it was, was sea goblin i love that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah so anyway to answer your question but um, you think i would it's... say it seems like there's two two healers in the wave dancers skim back primarily with snakeskin kind of as a secondary okay but snakeskin more of a coral shaper flesh shaper and skim back more of an actual healer yeah more of like the tradition in the traditional sense like a like a, a mender or a lita or a rain that that that's that's again my interpretation okay that makes sense to me i yeah. i like to then we see um sunstream being transformed into his sunfish i put yep. quotes around that form yep. um and lita is using her healing power um, as a as a flesh shaper which um she seems to be kind of uh exploring more and more uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as, you know, as far as like actually transforming bodies and not just healing in the traditional sense, like right. you're saying. Well, this is. I think that this is a great example of not only the evolution of a, of an individual character, but of. Um, I don't know how to say this, but but but, kind of the scale of the story in ElfQuest and how it has sort of been gradually expanding and becoming bigger and more grand mm-hmm. over the course of the last 36 years. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, when we start, when we first meet these characters, they're all isolated. Their magic abilities are really still dampened in a very strong way by the, whatever effect that the world of two moons has on them. Um, you know, their that isolation has led to, in, in some cases, sort of closed minded thinking. And, um, and, and I think that is the perfect example of that is, is Lita's, shock at the idea that you could shape flesh and mm. why would you want to do that mm-hmm. um and and also in the shock that they had at tildak and the way that he looked exactly um and and you know fast forward to where we are with these characters and their culture and their their life experiences they've grown so much mm-hmm. and now you know they have access to amazing magical power via the palace their their own magical abilities have been enhanced and now we see lita not even you know blinking an eye and none of the other elves even reacting to the look of these 
shape changed ones that are that are you know look very different whether it be sunstream or frankly any of the wave dancers exactly you know i mean think back to the original quest wolf riders and how they would have responded to seeing an elf like skim back with these weird skin flaps or seeing an elf with a fishtail you know they would have been probably horrified and they probably would have been grossed out but now their cultural experience Mm -hmm. has has so expanded that that it uh it's 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 no big deal to them and i think you know, another great example of of how ElfQuest kind of, I think, mirrors real life. I think the 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 message there, whether Wendy and Richard meant to put it in there or not, mm-hmm. um, is just that you know diversity is a good thing, and and getting out of your own shell and your own um, experience and and seeing how other other people live is is a good thing. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Even if it wasn't the intention that message is still there on, on some subtle level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember in Kings of the Broken Wheel when Lita said there's nothing that Winnowill has done that I haven't done or something along those lines. Yep, yeah. And she was she was having a, a sort of existential crisis over it. Right. <laughs> um, just the fact that she saw how much of Winnowill was in her and the responsibility that she has because of her power not to abuse it. And it's interesting because she's right. And this shows it. She's transformed Sunstream into this form, this sunfish form. Whereas Winnowill transformed Tildak into his form. And it's the two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, Lita's always, Lita and Winnowill have always sort of been kind of mirror images of each other. One dark, one light. And it's just, it's interesting to see that that dichotomy between the two of them play out. Yeah, I mean, even in the final quest here, even though mm-hmm. Winnowill, well, she hasn't shown up yet, but I'm guessing I'm thinking, that yeah. she'll be making an appearance um, sure. in spirit form. Um, yes. But um, but yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it. Um, you know, sort of Sunstream being the 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 equivalent of Tildak for Winnowill. Um, and I think she said, I think it was in that scene, um, or maybe it was in the the, the last scene in um, Siege of Blue Mountain where she grows Cutter's hair long again, and then she catches herself and is like, you know, the difference, the only difference between me and Winnowill is is giving others the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like, you know, you, you said that you know she's having this existential crisis in Kings of the Broken Wheel about it when she changes Skywise's blood. And makes him mortal or right. immortal. Yeah. Um, that that she is a character has developed so much. And you know what, Lita is a character that doesn't get a lot of discussion or a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's, she's probably just, grown more than any other character throughout the series. Yeah, I mean, if you th- think about it, think about who she was when we first meet her. She's kind of this haughty. Um, not not as bad as Rayek, of course, but you know, sort of sort of proud, a little bit vain. Um, a little bit stuck up. Mm-hmm. Um, Is and, that haughty? H a u g t y or h o t t i e? No, haughty. Okay, <laughs> that's that's both your, are applicable. So. Yeah, that's true. That's your that's your Canadian pronunciation coming in. I think. <laughs> <laughs> hot and hot. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So so I think she's a character that you know if you ask me to name my favorite characters, she, you know, she isn't a character that I relate to a lot. Um, and I tend to just, I, I don't think too much about her, but now that we're having this conversation, it really does make me think about 
sort of a pretty radical and significant change in Definitely. and or just growth maybe change yeah. isn't necessarily the right word but just sort of character development and growth and it's, i guess it's been kind of subtle but it's definitely there and she's a way different elf now than than she started and if you think about the kind of the flashback stories to their youth um lita's and rake's youth mm-hmm. she was even worse as a little kid you know she yeah. was spoiled rotten she didn't think twice about anything um, serious no. until um, Thero, the sun villager who got kicked in the head by the Zwoot, died. And, and she realized that, you know, her power over death wasn't absolute. And, um, you know, I, I won't spoil that story if folks haven't read it. Uh, but it's, one, it's a really great story. Um, so maybe worth reading in light of the final quest and what we're talking about with, um, you know, just her, her current ease with using her powers and, and using them far beyond the the limits that she once thought she had to, she had, or that she had to abide by. I think you just won the Uber geek award, by the way, (laughs) for what? (laughs) Because you remembered a character named Thero who was in one issue. (laughs) I mean, I can't even claim that. David. So I bowed into you. It's an illness, but one that I'm proud to have. It's really good for the show. (laughs) Yes. Well, everybody go look up Thero. Um, It's in the Hidden Years story. I'm not going to remember the exact issue. It was maybe issue seven, six, seven, no, maybe issue eight of Hidden Years. Um, And of course, plug for the online comics on elfquest.com. You can read everything up to the first half of the Final Quest prologue for free on elfquest.com so if you haven't checked that out you definitely want to go do that because it's a great amazing resource Um, because a lot of these books are no longer in print many of them never even got collected into graphic novels so um yeah it's a great resource yeah definitely um all right yeah hero is my new favorite character now awesome (laughs) uh just to to get back to um sunstream and tildak i'm just looking at the image right now and it just occurred to me how I was saying how they're the flip of a flip side of the same coin and uh, uh-huh. same with Lita and Winnowill. Well, just looking at Sunstream in his sunfish form, he has the head fin. Totally. And the also the wing. Design. Yeah. 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 So it does sort of um, give that impression that here's, here's what can be done positively with that right. kind of power. Yep. Yeah. And Tildak was the example of what can be done negatively with it. Right. And and the beauty factor is is how that kind of manifests because even if you don't like the sun sunstream sunfish form, which and, a lot and of I, people don't, yeah, um, it, it, you you can't you you have to admit that it is it's it's a much more beautiful form than Tildak's form, which was very sort of skeletal and you know hairless Creepy. and bat like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, yeah. All right. So we 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 talked about the birth of Korife, I think, at length at, um, in the last episode. So let's not um, spend too much time there other than to say it's always great when, you know, the cute little babies are born, even though, as I was saying earlier, I'm with Ember. Um, you know, they're nice to, to kind of see, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable holding them when they're tiny. <laughs> Show them to so me cute. when they're when they're three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She, she totally is. And, and, you know, cute. here we, we see her, she's, she's precocious. She comes out, um, you know, pretty well formed, able to swim. And, um, she has sea green hair. She has seafoam green hair. Yeah. And which the scalloped kind of scalloped ears. Like the yeah, dancers have. Yep. Yep. And, uh, um, and little wing fins. She looks like a little cherub. 
I, I think that's exactly like the the nod that Wendy was trying to give to her her baby form that she's this little yeah this darling little cherub which hmm. I could hear Wendy saying those exact words. All um, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, not that I've heard her say them, but I oh. could hear her saying them. Um, so um, yeah, so Corve is is adorable. She's yeah. got cool seafoam green hair. You know, the the I don't think we talked about this last time, um, but you know, th- this is sort of evidence that um, the wave dancers are actually born with these sort of fishy forms and that um, while there might be some cosmetic fin shaping um, going on, mm-hmm. that they're not, they're not born looking like the other elves, that they actually, you know, in their shape changed DNA, if you will, mm-hmm. that they actually have adapted and evolved these sort of, you know, sea, sea adaptations and sea decorations, Definitely. which is kind of, kind of neat and interesting. Very neat. Yeah. And that's how quickly through just a few generations, I would imagine that the, the elves DNA and their magic quote unquote magic mm-hmm. um, can affect their, their physical forms based on the environment that they live in. Uh, right. Yeah. It's, it's really neat. All right. Mm-hmm. So we yeah we talked about the belly ripper scene and Sunstream's um, spines and everything, yes. um, and that brings us to um, oh the, the, yeah the party scene mm-hmm. where Lita gets to yeah dance on dance uh, you know in the full sunlight and and swirl and you know have kind of a raucous celebration the likes of which we probably haven't seen since the days of the Sun Village right um, which is kind of neat yeah and um, and the wave dancers can finally kick back a bit and have a yeah. good time for once exactly which mm-hmm. is nice to see. And then um, we get little Corifei uh, displaying some special powers. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's no surprise that the that the kid has some magic, given who her father is, right. um, and the fact and her that grandmother. she's conceived. In the, oh, and her grandmother. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, you know, and the fact that she was conceived in the palace, which um, we know can have an enhancing effect on uh, you know the magical abilities or the specialness of the child or whatever. Um, so yeah. So she's a floater, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but because when I was looking at that panel, though, I was wondering, is it just on the top of the ocean, like on the top of the waves or no, because she's actually she flies, right? She floats. Yeah, yeah she does. OK. Yeah, you can see her in that second panel on the bottom of page 24. She's definitely floating. Yes. I think I think the, the, the bit about her being on the, the, True the water dancer. surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just to, to be able to, to de- deliver that line. That right. She's kind of dancing on the waves. Which, yeah. 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 Um, all right, so the next page is one of my absolute favorites in this entire issue. Mm-hmm. And it's oh. this sort of parting scene when um, Skywise and Lita and Sunstream are getting ready to leave in the pod to go back to the Holt and the and the, the, the palace. And Sunstream is saying, you know, I was planning on leaving and just sort of being here in spirit form, but now that the time has come. I can't bear to do it. And we get this amazing, again, sort of character interaction, two people just talking and you learn so much about them. And this is like sort of the, the, the richness of ElfQuest right here. And, and, and Skywise saying, um, you know, you, you, yes, you're destined to do great things, but there's no when to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like go raise your daughter, which is also cool because Skywise you know, probably has many children out there, but he knows of one of them, young, and he never, yeah, and he, and he, he didn't get to raise her. Um, and so it's kind of neat that he said that, but just, you know, again, this is amazing stuff. This is not the stuff that you see in other comics. And it's why I, I personally love ElfQuest. Yes, me too. I mean, this is just another, um, 
it's it's like the Dushine and and Tyr interaction, yeah. right? Yep. As you were saying, exactly. It's the, yeah. it's the same type of uh, character interaction that we saw with the two of right. them, and it's these quiet moments that characters have where they're just having conversations and they're talking to each other and they reveal so much about each other but there's no explosions there's no fighting there's no swords and it's just people talking to each other and yet it's so engaging that's what i love about it Mm -hmm. totally you know it also um it reminds me too of scenes like the one in in blue mountain in the original quest with cutter and skywise when cutter's trying to decide whether or not to follow vol up on his uh, mission to the palace um and the two of them are just up in the in the airy at blue mountain kind of talking right. and again it's that it's that same kind of scene that has the same kind of you know just uh, awesomeness feel. and that feel that mm-hmm. we're seeing in the final quest um you know it's totally on par with what we saw in the original quest which is which is awesome yes yeah. yeah, it's great to see these moments exactly that harken back to to the original quest, and you know you can kind of see a, a line of connection between the Absolutely. two. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, so, so Lita and Skywars are getting ready to leave, and we get another reference to Winkin. Um, with yeah, some uh, more foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. With Lita saying, um, you know, you're gonna have to be tethered like. Dushan did to well she doesn't even say the name she just says her baby boy but um but uh but that's a cute little scene between granddaughter and grandmother very cute yeah saying their their farewells and um and and then we get the infamous skywise like bro wink over at krill which which i have to say i loved it i thought it was hilarious it's maybe a little anachronistic um you know it's sort of a modern day thing that uh you know you don't necessarily expect to see in the actual comic like maybe in like you know one of the a day in the lives sort of little funnies yeah but but given who skywise is and given the fact that it's 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 been not so subtle that he and krill are you know love mates and getting it on on their on their visits together Mm -hmm. uh, i thought it was just sort of a really funny little you know, tongue-in-cheek yeah. thing to throw in there. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It may, <laughs> might be a little anachronistic, but it's still funny, and we'll let Skyways get away with it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so so then they're in the pod here, and this is, by the way, the breaking point between the, um, what the pages. What boing-boing? Exactly, that one up on boing-boing. <laughs> and what what I, I'm guessing is when Wendy and Richard finalized the deal with Dark Horse to actually publish the final quest um you know properly like on, in paper and everything mm. um so they left us hanging at this cliffhanger for exactly. how many months was it and we were all just banging our heads against the wall like what are they looking totally. at because it was it, great it, done it, it was almost a year was that how long it was yeah oh man i'm pretty sure it was almost a year maybe, maybe do that to us i know torture, torture <laughs> us um but i just want to go in a will uh, that's right. I, I just want to go on record, though, and say that I totally called this one because of the line um, of, you know, Lita's line saying that, you know, oh, it's been such a long time since I danced with sand between my toes. And then then they zap away in the palace and then they're shocked as to where they are. And I was like, you know, the, if, 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 if you've read The Rebels, mm-hmm. uh, which is where we probably more than any other place see the power that the palace has and how it works. It's really connected into um, sort of, you know, for these psychic beings, you can control the palace simply with 
with awesome. thoughts. Like, you know, that's that's where it takes its direction and it kind of taps into that that sort of ability. Um, and Ooh. so Lita is thinking about dancing with sand between her toes mm-hmm. back in the Sun Village. And I was I, I think I said it on Facebook. I was like, they're going to Sorrow's End. I remember you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You called it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm um, just going to pat myself on the back. Yeah, definitely. Give yourself a pat on the back. I'll give you a little applause. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, also, this scene relates to uh, what Sunstream was saying to Skywise before about not being the best pilot of the right. uh, the palace at this point, because obviously they got thrown off course just based on what Lita was thinking. Um, mm-hmm. So Skywise isn't uh, a master of the palace yet. Um, right. and, and, uh, the power of the palace kind of takes precedence, um, yep. over any sort of control he might have. Yeah. And we might've talked about this, um, before in one of the previous episodes, but you know, it's interesting that you just use the term, he's not a master of the palace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you meant it sort of generically, yes. but, um, but interestingly, there is no master of the okay. palace, like capital M the way that Rayek, you know, dubbed himself the master of the palace. Right. And, and, um, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely sort of this whole, um, sort of collective power that the elves tend to have. I mean, not obviously absolute. I mean, Cutter is the chief of the wolf riders. Ember is the chief of the wolf riders. Kavi was, you know, is sometimes chief of the Kovacs, mm-hmm. but, um, but they generally, you know, do, at least the the tribes that we see portrayed positively have this very egalitarian sharing kind of society where right. um, you know there's no absolute one power. It was, and in, I think, it was in Shard sixteen that Rayek said, "Who will guide the palace now?" When he realized he couldn't because he was holding Winnowill's spirit, and I believe it was Skywise. He said, "We all will." Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which yeah. is exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. It, yeah. It's a collective as opposed to having one specific person in charge because really I don't think it would be healthy to have one individual uh, in charge of that much power. Maybe on some level they recognize that it's not a good idea because it could potentially corrupt them. I mean the the elves aren't um, perfect, they're fallible Mm -hmm. and they maybe not as easily as a human but they could definitely become corrupted by that much power if they're you know uh, if they had the flaw that would personality flaw that would allow for it totally yeah, yeah yeah well and and you know that makes me think too of the um the other hidden year story of Aiken? the um yeah of the um the high the, ones the, the high ones how shall i keep the, from singing yeah the, that that one group of high ones that um uh you know w- w- whether or not that's absolutely canon uh, i think maybe remains to be seen mm-hmm. um I don't know if, if Wendy and Richard will ever do anything with those characters other than that flashback story. But, you know, there are obviously references made to um, sort of current time characters just in the character designs and the abilities and everything like that. But yeah. um, but we did but, see, uh, remember we saw that flashback or that image that uh, Winnowill sent to Rayek in totally, yeah, Siege yeah. and it was Haken. It was yeah. in character design. Right. Which, okay, here's another um, pronunciation thing, because I pronounce the name Hacken. And, um, and I'm probably wrong. We, we well, just go with Hacken. Well, the, the, the funny thing is, is that um, I, I grew up in New Jersey. Yes. And um, and I'm also living evidence that most people in New Jersey don't all talk like this, <laughs> even though that's even though that's the stereotype. Yes. Most people in New Jersey that are native to New Jersey talk like me. But mm-hmm. at any rate, I remember Richard saying, I think in the letters pages, or it might have been might have been online, that um, the that you pronounce Hacken 
like the town in New Jersey. And I immediately knew what that meant because there's a town in New Jersey called Hackensack. Oh. So I think that settles it. (laughs) Okay, it does. And I'm the worst at pronouncing elf names. So, yeah, you're probably right. But, Richard, if if you listen to this episode... Help us clear this one up, too, like you cleared up Larrigan. Yes, please. We're going to have um, to add that name to the uh, pronunciation list. Totally, yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, I, I just brought them up to, to illustrate the, you know, your point that you know, when the elves are working, they're kind of, they kind of have um, shared power. And that's what we saw with the first comers at the Circle of Nine, which was, was you know, I guess the equivalent of like the leadership council. Um, but they none of, no one individual had absolute power. And they all actually had sort of separately defined roles to play, um, whether it was, um, uh, you know, Tim Ains was, of course, to remember. She's kind of the original mother of memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you have Hacken, who is sort of kind of a, I can't, can't remember the exact term they use but he's kind of like you know the aggressor and that kind of thing and adya was the explorer and um gibra this is another one that i never have known how to pronounce if it's gibra or gibra i went with gibra yeah probably gibra (laughs) richard help us um (laughs) yeah so you know she was caution um so they all had their role to play Mm -hmm. and collectively if you add up all those different roles, you have kind of a really well-rounded leader, but no one individual really embodies any one of those or any or all of those characteristics. And we're seeing that in the way things seem to be developing in the final quest with, with the way that the Sun Villagers and the Wolf Riders are sort of managing the palace. Sure. I mean, that's, kind of, it makes sense to have a council. Uh, and this sort of relates to another topic that I've always kind of thought about when it comes to ElfQuest, and it's kind of troubled me a bit, the idea of a... Um, uh, what's the term where um, leadership roles are passed on through uh, hereditary, her- hereditary, right. yeah, hereditary right. power line? Uh, because it seems kind of uh, antithetical to the whole idea of you know a collective and uh-huh. a-, a shared consciousness, maybe on some level. And right. and yet we have a chief lineage passed down, right? Which well, doesn't seem very democratic. Right. For the Wolf Riders, um, yeah. I, you know, none of the other tribes you really see that. I mean, yes, Snakeskin has kind of stepped into the role mm-hmm. of leader mm-hmm. um, and his father was the leader before him. But it, it it definitely does not have the same feel as as kind of his birthright. Um, I think it was, you know, the wave dancers are just so damn timid that nobody else wanted to step up and do it. Right. And so it kind of, people kind of looked at, you know, the, at, at snakeskin as, okay, well your dad did it. So now you have to do it, right. which is why he rejected it, why he didn't want it. Yeah. Originally. I think, I think the wolf riders are, are an exception. Um, obviously they've got the wolf blood and that whole practice of sort of the lineage started, you know, in, in sort of the the dark back history of the, the wild and probably violent past of the, the, the origins of the wolf riders. Mm -hmm. So where they really did have a little bit more of a command and control kind of environment, at least, at least in some time periods when that kind of passing down of the, the leadership um, to the offspring is, uh, you know, is, is done via heredity. It, it, so I think that's the exception. I also think, obviously, when Wendy and Richard were envisioning ElfQuest, that this sort of notion of leadership passed down is is kind of a neat one that um, has this kind of fantasy feel to it. So sure. 
Um, it definitely does. Yeah. Yes. Although, mm-hmm. although it does raise the question of, you know, what's going to happen if Ember doesn't want to have kids or dies or dies. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, um, you know, like what's going to happen to the mm-hmm. Wolfrider lineage? I mean, th- th- does the, does the crown go to Korafe? Exactly. That would be interesting. Or Sunstream. Or Sunstream. Yeah. God, I didn't even think, I, I see my mind just completely jumped over him. I wouldn't even, because you're not all, even considering, yeah, that yeah. he would want it, or yeah, right. but who would it go to, right? Or if somebody challenged a chief and won, I mean, did that ever happen in the history of the Wolf Riders? And so, an, an entirely new bloodline took over the the chief's line. Not, not, not in not any that story we know that, of, right? Yeah, that's been told. That seems um, kind of a lucky break for that whole lineage then of chiefs, right? Because it's always their descendants, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a fantasy story, and so we accept that on that level. And it is a very cool notion. You know, it works for this idea of this slightly um, barbaric tribe of, exactly, um, yeah. you know, uh, forest-dwelling elves. Uh, it works. But, I mean, if you want to actually think about it in terms of, like, the politics of it, you know, it doesn't seem particularly fair. Right. Uh, but, you know, maybe I'm looking too deeply into it. Well, no, it, it, it does raise an interesting question is sort of as the Wolf Riders, um, and, and I think this is something, um, well, this isn't really a spoiler, but this whole idea that, you know, the Wolf Riders that are living near the palace have a pretty cushy life. You know, so the question that this is making me think is, you know, what happens to, to the Wolf Riders and their culture when they're you know they're not living this sort of wild existence where they have the safety and the magical influence of the palace and you know what 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 does that do to wolf riders and how will that change their leadership structure and um and you know of course that gets into the whole moonshade discussion yes well i think Um, just you mentioning that you're touching upon what i think is going to be the main thrust of this storyline i think that the final quest is is going to deal with that, and that's what it's going to be about. I think there's going to be some significant dramatic events that happen, but ultimately the entire story will be what is the fate of the Wolf Riders as a tribe, because they can't exist the way they have anymore. Right. Right. So they're they're in danger of becoming um, uh, of facing extinction as a tribe. Right. And it might be willing extinction. Potentially, you know, it might it might be that sure. They, you know, they 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 decide that they're that they do want to go back to the palace and to those ways and and that um, you know I mean I who knows what's going to happen exactly <laughs> and that brings up the question too of um, you know what are the what are the differences or, or how how is living next to the palace for Cutters Wolf Riders versus living a more traditional Wolf Rider way lifestyle. Um, you know, are the two Wolf Rider tribes changing differently and mm. going down different paths? And it'll be interesting um, to see what happens with that. And, um, you know, are they going to stay separate? I, I, my, my guess is that at some point the, the tribes are going to kind of kind of come back together. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and uh, who, who knows what will happen then? I mean, because, again, maybe there will be such differences from them living apart for so long that there'll be some friction um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Very interesting. I, I was thinking the same thing, that they will come together at some point, but I wasn't thinking about friction, but that's 
possible. I mean, we've seen it before, right, where there's been splits and rifts between the Wolf Rider tribe. Look at Two Spear and Hunter Skyfire. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But let's move on because we don't want to uh, yeah. <laughs> get too off off uh, topic. Yeah. Here. Yeah, we're already over the hour mark, so... Um... Yeah. Hey, everyone, that's the end of part three of our review of ElfQuest, the Final Quest special. Join us soon for part four. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. And you can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or any other multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.